Well, this is Palm Sunday. It's also the last Sunday in Lent before we celebrate resurrection. Uh, Throughout Lent, we've been talking about this idea of tearing the veil, that when Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn, giving us direct access to God, and how we often put the veil back up between us and God, between us and other people. And uh, the lens through which uh, we've been looking at this idea, uh, when I've been speaking through Lent, is uh, in the book of Jeremiah. And so I wanted to look at one more text in the book of Jeremiah. We're going to be in Jeremiah 29 this morning, if you want to follow along. In the Brown Bibles, it's page 641. Um, And uh, first, I, I want to start with this verse, if I can have the next slide. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Uh, how many of you have heard this verse before? Yeah, a lot of us. Th- this is a, a, a pretty well-known verse in Christian circles, um, and I think it's a great verse. Uh, and it's something we could just spend the rest of our time just talking about this verse today, because it's a beautiful verse. It's a, it's a verse that we hold to uh, in our own stories, believing that God has a plan for us. Uh, but if you know me at all, you know I like story, and uh, that this verse doesn't just have to do with our stories. It it takes place within the context of a particular story in Jeremiah. And so as we've been looking at Jeremiah, uh, we started in Jeremiah 1, where God calls Jeremiah to be his prophet, to be his spokesperson to the people. And this was not a very fun job, because Jeremiah was speaking truth to power. Jeremiah was speaking mainly to the religious leaders of his day and and saying, listen, you need to change your ways. Uh, Exile is coming. Exile is coming. And no one believed him. No one wanted to listen to this. No one likes to listen to someone say, hey, uh, bad days are ahead. It doesn't get you very many votes, I've heard. Uh, And so Jeremiah is saying this, though. Exile is coming. And and they didn't like this so much that one day one of the priests took Jeremiah and put him in stocks, beat him, and left him in these stocks all night long. And so then we looked at Jeremiah 20 where Jeremiah wanted to quit. He wanted to quit being a prophet. He said to God, you have deceived me and I was deceived. You, You wooed me into doing this work. And frankly, I don't like it, and I want to quit. But, but your word is like a fire in my belly, and so I have to keep speaking your words. By the time we get to Jeremiah 28 and 29, exile has happened. So the people are now, uh, Babylon has come in, they have conquered Israel, they have destroyed their homes, they have destroyed the temple, And they have carried many of the people out of Israel to Babylon in exile. So the words that Jeremiah spoke about exile is coming. It happened. It came to be. And so uh, we don't like exile, do we? The people of Israel didn't like exile either. And often what happens is uh, we, we live with this myth that we are in control of our lives until exile suddenly happens. 
And this is the myth the people of Israel were living with. Everything's great. Everything's good. No worries. Exile's not going to happen. They, they were living with this myth that they were in control of their lives, and then exile happened. And when exile happens, there, there's a few choices you can make. One is to deny that it's happening. Another is to get angry and bitter. Another is to believe everything's just going to go back to the way it was. Another is to live in the exile and push through it. Uh, One of the options Israel was choosing was to believe that it would end and it would end soon. And in Jeremiah 28, a prophet named Hananiah comes along. And Hananiah says, Thus saith the Lord, I will crush the yoke of Babylon and I will return you to Jerusalem. And so Hananiah comes along and he says, Listen, I have a word from the Lord and it's good news. Exile's going to end. We're all going to go back to Jerusalem. Everything's going to be the way it was. Life's going to be great again. Don't worry. God's going to crush the yoke of Babylon and we'll return. Vote for me. Because life is going to be great. (laughs) Jeremiah says, wow, that's, that's a wonderful word from God. I really hope that happens. But then God speaks to Jeremiah and says, not going to happen. And I want you to tell the people it's not going to happen. In fact, they're going to be in exile for 70 years, for a lifetime. Now, as Jeremiah, you've got to be thinking, thanks a lot, God. I've been telling them bad news up to this point, and now I've got to tell them more bad news. Vote for me, uh, because you're going to stay in exile. And so Jeremiah comes in the context of this story of Israel where they are in exile in Babylon. And Jeremiah 29 is a letter that Jeremiah writes from Jerusalem to Babylon, the people of Israel who are in exile. Jeremiah 29 verse 1 says, This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles. And to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Uh, Verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they may produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. This is not the word you want to hear from God if you're in exile in Babylon. Now, I I want for us just for a moment to uh, imagine that we are these people of Israel where we have lived our entire lives in Israel. Our roots are there, and we've been uprooted, conquered, and moved to Babylon. It's a little hard for us to imagine this for a number of reasons, one being that we live in a very transient culture, don't we? And so it's not unusual to uproot and move. As difficult as it is, it's just not unusual. People do it all the time. This was not the case for Israel. 
They were firmly rooted in their place. In fact, their identity was tied to their place, and their identity was tied to their place of worship, the temple, which has now been destroyed. All they've ever known, their entire identity has been stripped from them, and they are now in a foreign land under the power of their enemy, Babylon. They find themselves in exile. And Jeremiah says, this is what God says to you in exile. Start over in exile. Build houses, plant, harvest, marry, give your sons and daughters in marriage. Jeremiah says, life is possible in exile. We often live huge chunks of our lives in what feels like exile. And God is saying to these people in exile, life is possible in exile. And not only is life possible in exile, but you can actually prosper in exile. You can actually push through exile and enjoy life in exile. This is not what Israel wanted to hear from God to build houses, to plant, to harvest, to marry, to have children. They want out of exile as quickly as possible. They want God to fix their situation. God, take the exile away from me. I want to invite you to just think for a moment, what what is an area of your life that feels like exile to you? Because when we feel these areas of life, the immediate sense is, God, take this away. Change this. God, change my boss. God, change my spouse. God, change my children. Uh, God, change my situation. And God cares deeply about all of those things. And God may change those people. But what God invites us to do in exile is to look inside and say, God, where, where are you wanting to change me? Because it's very easy to look outside of ourselves and see other people that need to change. The more difficult and arduous task is to reflect deeply inward and invite God's spirit to refine us and to change us and transform us into the people he's calling us to be. Whether the people in our lives change or not, God is inviting change within us. Jeremiah goes on. He says, Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. If what God had said to the people in exile wasn't already difficult enough, this is like off the charts difficult. Nebuchadnezzar has come in and destroyed everything they ever knew. And you want us to pray for him? Babylon has stripped us of our entire lives, and you want us to pray for Babylon? 
You want us to seek its peace? No, 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 no. We're called to rebel. We're called to fight back. We're called to destroy them and return to our homeland. And God says through Jeremiah, seek its peace and pray for Babylon. I think this is one of the most radical and difficult teachings of Jesus. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is one of the most radical and difficult teachings that Jesus ever gave. And God gave a very similar command to his people nearly 600 years prior in exile in Babylon. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Seek the peace of the place where you are in exile. You say, uh, I don't have any enemies. I get, I get along with everyone. Um, which candidate <laughs> do you not like? That might be a really soft way of putting it. If you are a Republican, what does it look like for you to pray for Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders? Feel the burn of that. If you are a Democrat or a Republican, what does it look like for you to pray for Donald Trump? (laughs) Or the other Republican candidates? To seek the peace. Now, this does not mean that we don't enter into healthy dialogue, healthy critique. This does not mean that we don't engage the issues like thinking human beings do. But there is a way of doing this that is the way of love rather than the way of cynicism. And I'll be the first to admit I gravitate towards cynicism so easily when it comes to these issues. And to be honest, I think there's a couple candidates out there that are just cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. (laughs) But what does it look like to choose the way of love rather than cynicism? What does it look like to actually pray for these candidates and to be able to engage in healthy dialogue about it? Because so much of our cynicism, so much of our disgust, so much of our anger towards whoever is deeply rooted in fear. Fear that we're going to lose our way of life. Fear that something bad is going to happen if so-and-so is elected. Uh, 
I think I'm safe to say that whoever's elected, the apocalypse is not coming. Uh, Jesus said 2,000 years ago, behold, I am coming soon. That was 2,000 years ago. Uh, Jesus also said, no one knows the day or the time. If we're in the end times, we have been for 2,000 years, and we will likely be for 2,000 more. Jesus invites us to the present moment and to engage the present moment and to be fully present as the people he created us to be and to love well in the now, to not fear what is to come. If I can have the next slide. It is better to rely on the Lord than to put any trust in rulers. Where is your trust? Is it with a candidate? Or is it in God? Whoo, talking about both religion and politics. Whoo! <laughs> <clears throat> Verse 8, yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. Uh, He's talking about Hananiah and others who are saying, exile, it's only going to last a little bit. We're going back. Babylon will be defeated. Uh, God says, no, you're in exile. Seek their peace. Pray for them. Verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. So there it is. 70 years. That's how long exile is going to last. For these people in exile, that means they will never see home again. They're being told, you'll never see home again. You are in exile for the rest of your life. And then, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Jeremiah 29, 11 comes in the context of exile. God does have plans for all of us even in exile. The question for us is, will we seek peace? Will we pray for those we feel like have put us in exile? Will we be faithful in exile? What is your exile this morning, and how is God inviting you to push through it and to be faithful To God. When Jesus arrives on the scene 600 some years later, there's a a different 
superpower in charge. It's no longer Babylon. Uh, the people have returned from exile. They're back in their homeland. But now Rome has come in and conquered them. And while they are not physically in exile, they feel like they are in exile because they are occupied by Rome. And their desire was the same as 600 years ago where they wanted to defeat Babylon. Their desire is drive out the Roman oppressors. And there were heightened tensions of anticipation of the Messiah to come. And the anticipation was that the Messiah would be a military ruler who would drive out the Romans. And so when Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, they shout, Hosanna, Hosanna to the king. They want to make Jesus king. They're proclaiming him as Messiah. And you know the kind of king they want him to be? A military king who will drive Rome out. There are two ways to ride into a city. On a war horse or on a donkey. Somehow the people missed the donkey part. (laughs) Because Jesus wasn't coming into Jerusalem to drive Rome out. He was coming into Jerusalem to die. And the way of Jesus teaches us how to die. Because life in exile means many, many deaths to the self before our actual physical death. Jesus showed us how to die. He taught us to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. We don't get Easter Sunday without Good Friday. Jesus taught us how to die in order to embrace and experience the full, abundant life that he came to give us. And so when Jesus rides in on a donkey, this is hugely symbolic of the kind of Messiah he is telling us that he is. He is not a violent military Messiah, but a humble Messiah who will die a violent death on a Roman execution stake. He will not be enthroned on a throne, but enthroned on a cross. We don't like exile. We want the good life. We want everything to be as we think it should be. The reality is we live in a deeply broken and fallen world, and Jesus entered into that deeply broken and fallen world 
and showed us how to live in the midst of exile. He didn't teach us to escape exile. He didn't teach us to try to go around it. He didn't teach us to suppress exile. He taught us how to live in the midst of exile and to trust that he has conquered the brokenness and fallenness of the world and one day will return to bring the world to rights. In the meantime, as we await his return, we're invited to be here, now, fully present in whatever exiles we find ourselves in and walk the way of the cross so that we can also walk the way of resurrection. We're invited to push through the exile. There there are two ways to ride into a city on a war horse or on a donkey. There are two ways to enter into a conversation on a war horse or on a donkey. Which will we choose in the midst of our own exiles? Exile is not fun. It's not easy. We want to escape it. I think Jesus invites us to ask the question, how will we handle our exile? And who are we trying to change when Jesus invites us to look inside and say, in what ways are you wanting to change me? We partake of this bread and this cup each week to remember. We remember Jesus' death. We remember the power of his resurrection. Uh, We remember this humble Messiah coming into Jerusalem on a donkey. And it is also a reminder that we are being remembered. This brokenness, this fragile world we live in, where we often feel dismembered. In Jesus, we are being remembered, brought back together into oneness. And when we consume this bread and dip it in this cup and when as we consume it we are also being consumed by Christ as he invites us into a life of loving union with him and with each other Jesus was broken and poured out on our behalf so we too could live the life of Jesus and be broken and poured out for the sake of the world. And we need this reminder. We need to relive this Christ event to remind us of what Jesus did for us and how by his spirit he empowers us to live this same life in our world today. When we look at a text in Jeremiah from 1,600 years ago, or we look at 
this story of Jesus riding on a donkey from 2,000 years ago. It's so striking to me how these ancient narratives speak deeply into our lives today and invite us into a way of being in the world, invite us into a way of living and pushing through exile that bring God glory and can bring hope and healing to others in the midst of their exiles. So this morning, as, as you come and take this bread and dip it in this cup, I, I wonder what it would look like for you to hold your exiles with open hands and trust that Jesus is present in the midst of it. That, that you can trust him. You can trust him. He's with you. He is present. And you are not alone. God, thank you for these stories that remind us that even in exile, you are there. And you teach us how to live in the midst of exile. God, I pray that you would make us a people of peace, that you would give us the courage, even the desire to pray for those who aren't like us, that don't think the same way we do, to pray for those who we might consider our enemies. God, I pray that you would empower us by your spirit to be a people who live with great hope in the midst of exile. Trusting in this Jesus who rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and died for us. And trusting that that was not the end of the story. in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. As you go today, may you know the God who is with you in exile, with you in good times and in bad. May you know the very presence of Jesus in every way, filling you to overflowing with his spirit of love and joy and peace. May the grace and peace of Jesus be yours. Amen.